All right. So I just found out that Ben electrocutes my grandchildren. <laughs> Although the campuses are now linked together, you don't know what I'm talking about. That's probably a good thing, but pray for Ben Foote and his upcoming job search. So the, <laughs> no, hey, hey, before we get into this, so I'm sitting down here listening to this worship. And we just encourage all of our worship teams. There's this, we have great worship teams at all of our, our campus, but no, it's like that, uh, that last thing that we sang at all our campuses, you're worthy of it all. For, from you are all things and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. That actually comes from the last few chapters of the Bible. In the end of time, all, all, the, all the people that have gone to heaven, all the saints, all the elders, all the angels, they're all gathered around the throne and Christ is there. He's got a picture of that, all right? We'll get into the sermon here in a minute, right? And it's like they're all going, I'm, I'm so glad I put my faith in you because you're worth it. When I look back over what you've done in my life and done in the world and done in the universe and what you've created and all that, you deserve, deserve the glory. You know what? If we could just, you know, if we just sang that song over and over until everybody goes, okay, he's worth it, we wouldn't have a problem with faith. Because I mean, who's like him? Right? There's none like, like our God. And that's what we're talking about. I'm gonna get back on my notes now. But I, I just was really moved by, by this, that whole thing. Just to, like we talked about last week, just, if we just stop and be thankful every once in a while, like God is good. Amen. God's been good to a lot of us. I mean, we are here, we're breathing, uh, we're hanging on, some of us by fingernails, but we're still here because of God. And that's, that's what we're gonna kind of keep on hanging on to. So, so let's, get, let's jump into this. Last week, we, we kicked off a new series where we are, we're gonna be unpacking this thing called faith, like what it is and but what it's not, all right? Who and what would be a good thing to put your faith in and, and, and why and what happens when you put your faith in the wrong thing or the wrong person. And a lot of us have experienced that. And along the way, I think you're going to have what I call them like aha moments, like the lights will come on and it will explain a lot in your life, especially when it comes to faith. See, when you understand the kind of faith that Jesus was talking about, it will explain why maybe your faith might be struggling right now. And some of us, we go like, I'm really trying to hold on to this whole belief thing, but it's hard, right? Or maybe why it has struggled in the past, but also what is going to hit in the future in your life, something's going to hit your life and try to get you to question what you've always held on to and believed was true. I had faith in that. Because the faith that you've been holding on to, we looked at last week, it's more like, of a, a, like a thermometer, right? It goes up and down based on your circumstances. If they're good, you got good faith. If they're down, your faith's in the toilet. And, 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 and then your faith goes down based on your ability to understand what's going on in your life and interpret what's going on in your life when it's happening. And we're not very good at that because it's just painful, right? Instead, what we're going to go for is my faith. I want it to be like a thermostat, which doesn't react to my circumstances, but my faith actually defines how I'm going to go through my circumstances, which Jesus promised. Here's a promise from Jesus. If you want one of those, right? Your life is going to get really rough. He promised, right? Remember this, uh, uh, the promise from Jesus. He said this, in this world, you will have trouble, right? You'll have some good days in there, but I'm just telling you, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have tribulation. You'll have things hit your life, trials. But he also promised in the same breath that if you will hold on to him with this thing called faith, he overcomes the world. And then uh, when you hold on to him, you overcome with him. Together, you'll overcome anything. That's what he promises, right? And, 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 and see, time out, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about hypothetical. Uh, think about this, all right? There are some people in your life that you've watched maybe from a distance, right? They've had everything that this life can throw at them land on them. You know, some people like that, it's like, their life is hard, right? Cancer, divorce, abuse. They've, they've lost the most important people in their life to tragedy, to suicide, to car wrecks, to addiction, to war, right? To, to crime. They carry these heavy burdens, like, like caring for their aging parents who are, are going through Alzheimer's. That's my life right now, right? 
of, of raising their children or raising somebody else's child who has, has special needs. And, and then you look at them, at these people, and it's like they have joy. And you're like, why? Right, right? Like, like they even seem to be thriving, even, even happy. And you look at them and you think to yourself, how can you have faith when your circumstances are so hard, so difficult, when your life is so unfair? And if you were to ask them that question, their response, I promise, would be something like this. Hey, Jim, my faith isn't in my circumstance. My faith is in Jesus Christ. And, and, and you just shake your head because, you know, you and I, we, we claim, well, I have faith in Jesus Christ, but if I get a flat tire, my battery doesn't work, or I have a bad hair day, hypothetical, you jump right to, why does God hate me? Anybody? Right? Why does he help me more than he's currently helping me? I have faith. See, most of us approach our faith, this is all review from last week, all right? Like it's a magic formula that if we can figure it out, we can manipulate God to do things for us that if we hadn't faithed him, he wouldn't have done it. And sometimes it feels like it works. I got God to do stuff, right? And then sometimes it doesn't work. And most of us, if God doesn't do what we tell him to do when we tell him to do it, right, by faith, we end up in one of two spots. First spot is this, and this is where a lot of us are right now. There must be something wrong with me. I guess I don't have enough faith or the right kind of faith. I must be doing something wrong. I guess I'm not a good Christian or, or God would answer my prayers. A lot of us live there right now. Here's the other place. There must be something wrong with God because I'm doing what the Bible tells me to do. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. And either God can't help me because he, he really can't make a difference or he could help me, but he refuses because God is mean or just doesn't care about my life. And that's where a lot of us are living. And if you live in one of those spots long enough, eventually you'll get so frustrated and you will tap out. You'll either give up on God or you'll assume that God has given up on you and I'm on my own. I don't need faith, right? Anytime that you base your faith on what's going on in your life and in your current circumstances or what you hope will change in the future for better or worse and your ability to understand and interpret what's going on in your life, again, none of us are good at that. It's a matter of time until our faith comes crashing down and we don't know what to believe or who to trust. Anybody been there? Of course, yeah. Which is why it's so important to go back to the Bible's definition of faith and not something that, that we have concluded or we have assumed or maybe based on how we grew up have wrongly been taught along the way. And when I say go back to the Bible's definition of faith, here's what I mean. The faith that Jesus was referring to when he says you gotta have faith. The kind of faith that God told us to build our lives upon. The kind of the faith that, that, that Paul, he writes that, that this is the kind of faith that leads to grace that can save and change and strengthen a person's life. So in Hebrews chapter 11, we're going to be uh, here real quick, but if you have your Bibles, and if you don't have a Bible, go to the back of whatever campus you are and grab a Bible. We're going to spend most of our time in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis, but real quick, we're going to skip to the back of the Bible. Hebrews 11 is, is the definition. It says this, now faith is confidence. And that means I'm convinced my feet are planted on. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. It hadn't happened yet, but I, I hope it will, right? And assurance, I'm convicted about we, what we do not see. I can't see it. And after some study last week, we expanded those words to, to mean this as a rolling definition of faith. It goes like this. Faith is confidence that something that hasn't happened yet will happen. And assurance that something that I can't currently see or understand, I will see and understand in the future. It may not be until I get to heaven, but one day it'll all make sense, okay? And when you apply like that definition of faith to what the Bible describes as we are saved and we're forgiven and connected to God by grace through faith in Jesus, here's the working definition. Again, if you weren't here last week, get your phone out and take a picture of this. This is the working definition. When you hear me talk about faith this month, this is what I'm talking about. Faith is confidence that Jesus is who he said he is and will keep every promise that he has made to me. That, when I say faith, that's what I'm talking about, 
All right, let's just move it to different sides of our brain. We'll all say it out loud together. One, two, three. Faith is confidence that Jesus is who he said he is and will keep every promise that he has made to me. For all the slow people, one more time. Here we go. Faith is confidence that Jesus is who he said he is and will keep every promise that he has made to me. Well, who is he? Jesus is the Christ. He's the son of the living God. He's the Messiah. He's the one who died on a cross as payment for your sin and my sin. He died. They stuck him in a hole. He rose again on the third day, just like he promised he would do. And if he can keep that level of promise, we can have every confidence and assurance that he can do and deliver on every other thing that he has promised. And if he didn't die for our sin, and if he did not rise from the dead, we have no confidence in Jesus. We have no assurance that he can do anything in our life because if he didn't die and rise from the dead, right, he's just an inspirational but crazy dead martyr who died for a good cause. And if that's the case, I'm out. I agree with Karl Marx. (laughs) We should shut it all down because all this really is is an opiate for the masses to get us through a crappy life with some false hope, right? But if it's true, if it's true, if Jesus really is who he said that he is and he actually did what he said he was going to do, then we can have faith that all that he promises is still possible in our lives today. And I'm leaning my life against that. Now, that's all review, okay? But like I said last week, I wanna slow way down so we all go together because this is so important. Because if we can all get our minds and our hearts around what faith really is and what faith can really deliver, and if we can let go of our wrong or misguided beliefs and conclusions about the role of faith in our lives, it could change everything in our lives, all right, Uh, in our future moving forward. uh, We as a church, you as as a family, it could change everything. So if you have that kind of faith that Jesus is talking about, that kind of confidence, that kind of assurance in God, in Jesus, in who he is and what he promised, what difference would that kind of faith make in your life? So we're going to look at one man today, right? His name is Abraham. Abraham is also known as the father of our faith, making everyone who puts their faith in Jesus a son of Abraham, a daughter of Abraham. So let's talk about our father, Abraham, the founder of our faith. But when we first meet Abraham, his name is actually Abram. All right. So if you have your Bible or your app or whatever, go to Genesis chapter 12. And I'm going to kind of give you some review. Genesis chapter 11. Here's what you find out is that Abram is one of three sons of a man named Terah, right? We found out later in the Bible, in the book of Joshua, that Abram and his father Terah and his family not only worshiped idols, false gods and statues, right? But according to Jewish literature outside of the Bible, like Abram and his father were, the, were actually, were, the family business was they built and sold idols, like before he followed God, he, he, he built statues and then person could come into their store and actually purchase a, a, a God for their home. They call a household God, hoping that the presence of that statue in their house would bring some kind of blessing or good luck. That's what Abraham did before he met, met God. Now, I never understood that. always sounded like craziness to me, all right, until I went to India. And I'm in this little town, it's actually a huge city, called Demo, and I'm walking down the street in Demo, India, and we pass a statue store, and I found out it's actually a God store, right? A God store. You could actually buy an idol for anything that was going on in your life. You could buy this God, uh, this little idol, and it's good for fertility if you, if you weren't able to have kids, or, or for, for you, for, if you're a farmer, you could buy this God, and it could help you get good crops, uh, it could increase your income, it could keep everybody healthy. Any kind of God that you needed, you just tell them what you need, they would make it for you, and then they'd sell it to you for a price, all right? And this is exactly what Abram and his family did for a living. And we find out later in the Bible, it must have paid well, because Abram and his family are loaded, 
Like they're, they, 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 they had money, they had livestock, they had servants. Abram was doing okay working in the God shop. Now file that away, it's important. He had everything a man could want except one thing. His wife, Sarai, later her name gets changed, Sarai, she couldn't have children. And in this culture, that was just seen as a curse, right? We don't see it that way, but in his day, that's, all right, that'll make sense more later. Apparently, Abram didn't have a statue down at the shop that could fix this problem. And then this happens. Genesis chapter 12, all right? Follow along. And get your pencils out because there's a bunch of underliners we're gonna unpack here, okay? It goes like this. Now the Lord, I want you to underline the word Lord because it's very important, right? Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Underline the land that I will show you, all right? And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. We're gonna read a lot of verses here. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord, there it is again, had told him, and Lot, his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, the, the town, and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had, had gathered, keep going, and the people that had, they had acquired in Haran, all his servants, and, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan, that's modern-day Israel. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord, there he is again, appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. That's the promised land, all right? That's where the promise comes from. Now, real quick, I just want to see, that's a lot of verses, I want to see if you're paying attention, okay? Quiz time, all right? God just told Abram to pack up and leave and go where? To a land that I will show you, which is a little vague, Right? And that God will bless Abram and curse anybody that curses Abram. And Abram will bless all the families of the earth. God goes on to say, to your offspring, I will give this land. Now, here's some questions, all right? In order to give the land to Abram's offspring, Abram's going to need to have offspring. And what's the one thing that his wife Sarai can't have? Offspring. And how old is Abram when this promise comes about? 75. And for the record, Sarai is she's about 10 years younger, so she's a spry 65-year-old, right? Now, file that away. It's important in the next couple of weeks because whatever questions come to your mind, like, how's that going to work, had to come up in old Father Abraham's mind too. But Abram's response was, okay, yeah. Let's go. Pack the wagon. Load up Sarai and the family. Um, so where, where, are we, where are we going? Uh, answer. To a land that God's going to show us. In other words, I don't know. We're just going to follow God. Now, just put yourself in the people around Abram. If I was connected to Abram, I might have had some questions. So who told you? God. Which God? You have a store full of gods, all right? Which one told you to pack up and go? Now, this is the important part. Look back at Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Look at this, all right? Now the Who? The Lord, now that's really important. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now look at that. Now sometimes, and I hope you underline this, when you see the word Lord in the Bible, it just means like boss or master or, or, or teacher or person in charge. But whenever you see the word Lord in all capitals, all right, that's the English, the English language way of the, translating the proper name of God, which is Yahweh. 
The Hebrew name for God is Yahweh, which doesn't contain any consonants, which means it can't be translated. Jewish people today, and some of you come from that heritage, right? You're not even allowed to write his name, which is why a lot of times when Jewish people write the word God, they leave the O out and just put a dash. Have you ever seen that? Because they're just trying to keep that name holy, all right? But, but the Lord in all caps is the proper name of God. It could be translated, I am which later that's how God reveals himself to a guy named Moses, all right? Uh, I am the one uh, who is, or how about this? I'm the one true God. I'm God Almighty. So anytime you see Lord in all caps going, I'm the God, I'm the one true God. So if you were to ask Abram, which God is telling you to pack up your life and move, his response would have been, well, apparently, come to find out, there's actually only one. One true God, and his, his name is Yahweh, and he's unlike any other God down at the store that I've given my time and my attention and my value to. So from now on, I'm following Yahweh, because apparently he's the one true God. So from this point on, for the rest of his days, Abram refocuses his entire life, his family, his faith, his future on this. There's only one true God. And I have confidence, I have assurance that somehow this one true God will keep and deliver on his promise to me to use me to bless the world. I have no idea how he's gonna do it or where that goes or how long it's gonna take, all right? I just believe that if God is the one true God, if God is who he says he is, he's the kind of God who will keep his promise. In a few chapters, Abram actually, God changes Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai's name to Sarah. And both the Abraham and the Sarai is God's Yahweh being added to their name. So from this point on, anytime you say the name Abraham, oh, you want the one who's connected to the one true God. That's why a lot of times when you enter into a covenant, you get your name changed, right? That's what we do at a lot of weddings. So we do a lot of confirmations. You get a, you get a, you get a new name, Right? So that's it. So next week, we're going to get into Abram's journey, okay? But I want to stop right there. We have so much to cover. That's why we're going to go really slow. I have some questions, and I want to see if you can relate to any of this, what's going on in Abraham's life, and how this might apply to your life or your faith, and hopefully even to your future. Okay, everybody knows the story. So here's my biggest question just going into this whole thing. Why? Right? Why? Why would Abraham immediately say yes to a God that he just met? Why would he pack up everything, risk everything in his life to follow a God that he just, at first, the first conversation, to go to a place called, I'll show you when you get there. To do something that God hadn't given any details or explanations around. Why would Abraham, why would anybody, why would you ever say yes to God with this limited knowledge? Why did Abraham say yes to God's invitation to follow him with the with with promise that, hey, hey, I promise you, Abraham, right? And we'll get more into this in the coming weeks. But God promised Abraham that God would give him a family. And he doesn't have any kids. I'll give you a family that will outnumber the stars of the sky and the sand uh, of, the, of the sea. And along the way, Abraham would be blessed. And Abraham's descendants, one in particular we now know as Jesus, would bless the entire world. See, see here's the, the why. Abraham didn't need to do this. He had, a, he had a good life. Why, why screw it up, right? I mean, he's, he's 75. He's looking at retirement. He's sitting back. He's taking it easy. He has money. He's rich, right? He was a successful in his business plan, right? He had a wife that he loved and that loved him. He had respect in the community. He was a leader in his extended family. Why risk everything to follow a God who shows up unexpectedly one day and says, pack up everything and follow me? Where? I'll show you. All right, and I will bless you, and you'll be an eternal blessing to all of creation. Why did Abraham say yes? 
And I don't, I'm just looking at trying to figure it out all, for the last month. Well, let's, here's where I landed. I might be wrong, but let's go with me on this to see if it makes sense to you. Let's look back at the details of the story. First of all, here's why he didn't do it. It wasn't because Abram and God had a long history. And Abram could look back over a proven track record of God being faithful to him over the years. I went through this thing and God was there. I went through this and God was there. I went through this and God, no, he wasn't. They just met. As far as I can tell, this is the first time Abram had encountered the one true God, let alone had a conversation with any God. The only experience that Abram had with any type of God up to this point was the merchandise down on the shelves of his God shop, gods that he had made with his own hands. And you have to think, because this is what I'd be thinking, in the back of his mind, he knew they weren't really gods because he made them in his shop. He made them with his own hands, all right? They couldn't have any power that could really do or change anything because he made them with his own hands. And these small G gods had no ability to promise anything, let alone promise that if Abram had faith, the future could be very different, like eternally better. It's a rock. So apparently in order, here's the takeaway if you don't get anything else, apparently to say yes to God, you don't have to have a long history of reading the Bible or going to church or being religious or having everything or really anything much at all figured out when it comes to God. There's just something in your heart goes, yes. As a matter of fact, the first, as you read through the, the first followers of Jesus in the New Testament, most of them met Jesus and left their old lives behind for an unknown future, and they did it the same day they met him. Jesus just simply comes and says, come and follow me. And they went, I'm in, let's go. I don't know where it's going, but I trust you. So it wasn't because of you know, past history. It, it wasn't because God gave Abraham all the details, the map, the plan, the time frame. And from a business perspective, this made really, really good sense. No, it didn't. All the business people in right here are going, that's just crazy. Follow me. Where? I'll show you. How long will it take? I'll show you. Where are we going? I'll show you. Ask any business leader in here. That is a risky, honestly, a really bad business plan. You'll lose everything, dude. Abraham, he didn't know what it would take and he didn't understand and he couldn't see from where he was that day anyway, where and how God was going to do what he promised to do. So none of those are the reasons that Abraham took a leap of faith to follow God. So if you're waiting on that, it's, you're never going to get there. So why do it? Why screw up your life? Why risk everything to follow God? And I'm going to go out on a limb here and I can't prove this. Okay. So you don't have to agree with me or believe in this. You can be like, I didn't like that week. I just flushed it. We're going to go on to the next week. Maybe Jim's biblical again. Right. But here's all I know. I know that Bible people, they're not special because if they were, I couldn't relate to it. Bible people are just normal people like you and I are normal people. And here's what I think. I think Abram's hit a point in his life, and a lot of us are there even right now, and he's looking at his life, what he's done to get where he currently is with his life and where it's going, and he, he looks down the road into his future, and he has a huge aha moment, goes like this, all right? Everything that I have invested my life in, my time in, my efforts in, right? My talents in, my, my passions in, all my creativity, creativity, all my energy, everything I've invested everything in to get to where I am in my life right now, it all goes away the moment I die. And then what? Nothing that I have done will matter. Nothing that I'm leveraging my one and only life will make a difference or be remembered five minutes after my funeral. And that's a really bad wake-up call. In Genesis chapter 15, we'll get here in a week or so, right? Abram complains to God, as soon as I die, 
My employees will split up my stuff. I'll be forgotten. My name, my future, my influence, everything that I have built with my life, invested in, it dies with me. And then God comes in and goes, no, 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 no. Listen, Abram, I promise, if you will trust me, if you will follow me, I can change all that, I promise. You will have an heir, you will have a future, you will have a family, I'll make you into a nation, but it only happens if you have faith, if you put confidence in me and who I am, and you live your life in such a way that demonstrates that you are sure that I will keep every promise, even though you don't understand currently how I'm gonna do it. So, Abram, are you in? And Abram goes, yeah, I'm in. And when it says yes, it's not a theoretical, hypothetical, religious, oh, yes, Lord, I get it, you know, spiritually, I get it. No, 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 no. It's a, it's a, it's a practical one. Yes, amen, get off your knees, pack the wagon, sell the house, pull up roots, and start doing things differently than you had planned on doing. See, here's, here's, here's what I want you to remember today, okay? Faith always means you have to move from where you are. I'm just gonna stay here. Well, then that's it. Faith always means you have to move. In order for things to change in your life, you can't stay where you currently are. You have to let go of what you had planned on doing and take hold of what God says to do instead. Faith always means leave where you are, let go of what you had planned, and it's not just like go with your gut. It's not go with a feeling, and it's not run from something bad. No, it's always run towards something good, run towards something better, run towards a land, a path, a future. Which one? The one that God is gonna show you. And it's eternally bigger and better than what you had planned for yourself. And you do it not because you totally understand God or where he's going with your life or how you're going to get there. No, you do it because you trust. You have confidence. You have assurance in the kind of God who's telling you to do it. So, so I'm going to backtrack. That. Just go with me on this. Or right, if you're trying to go like, I, I, slow down. Why, why should I trust God? All right. So the Bible and the more you read it, the more you're going to see stuff like this, all right? It says many, many times in many, many different ways. And we cover verses like this all the time in here. And it's this idea that God is love, right? Most of us can hang with it. God is love. Uh, famous verse, for God so loved the world, he gave Jesus, all right? Uh, last week, we looked at this. To demonstrate his great love for us, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So I'm going to build this case, all right? If you're taking notes, write this down. God loves you. Can you just hang with that? God loves you, all right? So go, go with that now. Okay, now, Jesus, and again, if you read his stories, you're gonna find this. Jesus said that two of the primary reasons that he came to us were, number one is I wanna seek and save lost people so they're not lost anymore and they can be with me, all right? And two, he said this, I came that you, we, right, might have life and have it to the full, also known as an abundant life. So see if you can hang with these two, all right? God loves you and God wants good for you, all right? That's what Jesus said. He loves you and he wants good for you. Now, this one might be a stretch, so go with me at least on a theoretical level, right? If there's a God, okay? So you're going, I'm not sure there is. But if there was one, okay? If there's a God who can simply create by speaking or willing something into existence that didn't previously exist, and if God really is sovereign, meaning he is what we sing about, above all things and in all things, and in him all things hold together, if God is almighty, all-powerful, all-present, all-knowing, here it is, right? Then I think that we could agree that a God like that would be smart. Hmm. Like smarter than you and me. And I say that not to hurt your feelings, but how about this? Almighty sovereign God might know things that we currently don't know. Can you go with that? He might know some stuff that you and I don't know. It just, it just makes sense. So let's put all that together, right? God loves you. God wants good for you. And God knows some stuff that you don't know, including how to get you to the life you were created to live and enjoy. 
Is it possible? And if that's true, the true question of faith is not, should you trust God with your life and future? The bigger question is, why would you ever put your faith and trust in anybody else other than all good, all loving, all knowing God? And I know the answer and you're not going to like it because the answer is, and you can't say this out loud because then people would all know that you're a narcissist, but here's the reason, right? We actually think that we're smarter than God. We actually think that we can get ourselves to a better life than God can. So we'll try. And one day, some of us are already woken up, but it's a matter of time, right? You will wake up and you'll discover our life has been about idols and rocks and empty, dead, powerless pieces of junk that won't outlast your funeral. Nobody will care about it anymore. Nobody will remember your house, your car, your level of fitness, your bank account, or the name of your company. As a matter of fact, everything you've poured your life into will be sold. Right? It will be bought out. It will be outdone. They won't remember your name or who you were. And all the stuff that you have spent your life accumulating will end up in a landfill that I call really didn't matter after all. I, I'm living this right now, okay? So I told you at Christmas, Robin wanted a house. I bought her a house. So we're moving. We have 17 years of crap in our house, all right? So I'm going through the basement over the last couple of weeks, all right? And we're going through this and this and this. And I find all this stuff that, oh my gosh, this is wonderful. This is so important. I fill three dumpsters with this is wonderful, right? It's just, it's just gone. It's just gone. But in the moment, oh, this is, no, it's gone. I keep looking at Robin. We can throw it away or our kids will throw it away, but it's getting thrown away, right? See, here's the reality check that Abram discovered, and I hope you and I discovered today, right? This is a screensaver right here. The only thing that will last longer than this moment are the things that we do for God in the name of God to further the purposes of God and everything else goes in a landfill. Write that down. Because I don't know what your life plan is, but if it doesn't, doesn't bring that into the factor, you have a really bad day coming. Look at it again. The only thing that will last longer than this moment are the things that you do for God in the name of God to further the purposes of God. And back in the fall, we studied through first Peter that says everything apart from that perishes. It dies. It's defiled. It fades away. It breaks down and ends up being nothing. But what we and I do for God by faith, not to earn his love, but because we, we understand his grace it's stored up. It's imperishable. It's undefiled. It's unfading. We're saved by grace, which is a gift of God that he gives to us. It was purchased for us by Jesus. But our faith, please hear this. Our faith causes us to alter the priorities of our life and leverage our lives for the one who saved us. The same faith that leads us to grace is the same faith that says, leave what you were doing, which was about the temporary and invest your one and only life in the service of the one true God, because that will never fade. It won't perish. It won't depreciate. It won't be taken from you. It will last forever. So that puts us in attention, right? Because there are, there are some competitors for that faith in your life. And I want to look at really, really briefly as, before we close, right? The, the, the primary competitors for your faith. And by that, here's what I mean. You live in a tension between, is God going to take care of me or is this going to take care of me? And you live your life in that tension, all right? So the first one, the primary one, at least according to Jesus, and I'm not going to turn this into a money talk, but Jesus says money is his primary competition for your faith. It's not Satan. Jesus didn't wring his hands going, oh, are you going to become a Satanist? That's really not his really word, all right? It's money, right? right? Money is. Jesus called this out several times in his first public talk ever, Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. He, he said things like this, and you know this, it's true. Where your money is, there your your heart will be also what you love and your money. They're always in the same place. 
He said, no one can serve, like give allegiance to both God and money. You're going to love one of them, but for the other one, you'll, you'll despise it. You'll show contempt for it. You'll look down on it. You'll scorn it. You'll question whether it can take care of you or not. Either God or money is your master based on who your life takes order from, but it can't be both. So I'm going to say something really, really blunt. It's going to hurt some of your feelings. It's going to really offend some of you. And you're going to be like, we're not coming back to this church. Okay. Take a breath. All right, and just think about this. But based on this, ooh, you're gonna get so mad. No, I'm not talking hypothetical. Based on the reality of what you choose to do right now, to choose and spend the dollars on that are at your disposal. I'm not talking about the money you wished you had, or someday if I had more money. You don't have more money right now. You have this money. But based on your current income and your current spending, which one is true about you? God runs your life. God runs your money. Or Money runs your life. Money is your God. In other words, based on what you're currently doing with your money, money is what you're primarily dependent on to make sure that my life is good and safe and secure and happy. I'd be more upset if I was bankrupt than if I found out there wasn't a God. See, Jesus, look at this. Jesus taught over and over. Nobody's gonna take a picture of this, but you should. Jesus, who, who? Jesus, not Jim, not Flatters, Jesus taught over and over that generosity is one of the primary markers of a person's life whose heart has prioritized Jesus. Jesus taught that. One out of six times when he opened his mouth, that's what he was talking about. So what percentage of the money that you have at your disposal is prioritized to make sure that the things that Jesus cares about in the world are addressed before you spend all your money on yourself? Let me repeat what I said at the beginning or earlier in this message. The only things that last are the things that you do for God in the name of God to further the mission of God and everything else ends and is forgotten the moment you're gone. I had a conversation with somebody uh, this past week after last week's introduction to faith. This person came up to me and said, uh, are you going give, to uh, give us like practical steps to grow our faith or increase our faith? I went, oh, sure, I can do that right now. Uh, if you want your faith to grow, uh, become more generous and give more of your money away towards the things of God. To which this person responded, I already give. And I said, that's great. Give more. Not the flatterers, give more towards the things of God. And it got really awkward in the gym, all right? And, and, and she walked away because it's not the answer that she was looking for. But just like Abraham, faith always means leaving the place where you are, even where you're comfortable, letting go of what you have previously leaned your faith against and lean more of your life against Jesus and what he promises to do. And that will always feel risky and it will usually feel really intrusive because faith will always disrupt what you were previously planning to do. Every time. But it's the only way for your faith to grow. It's like, going, it's, like, it's like building a muscle. The only way to get stronger is to add more weight over time to the bar. Not too much all at once, but over time. And you tear down, right? And you tear apart what was there so that something stronger can grow back. That's just biology, right? But it's spiritual too. It's the same with faith. So all you religious people, let me tell you this, all right? Increasing your faith doesn't come about because you pray about it more. You should pray about it, but that won't increase your faith. Increasing your faith doesn't come about by, by reading more of the Bible. You should read more of the Bible, but that's not going to increase your faith. And increasing your faith doesn't come about by, I just wish I had more faith or sing more songs about faith. You should do all those things. It just won't change your faith. The only way that faith will grow in your life is when a person moves, takes a step of faith, and that will always feel risky because you won't fully understand and you won't see how it's going to work out. So the only reason you would do it is because you believe in the God who's telling you to do it. He's trustworthy and he will deliver what he promises on the other side of that. After you take that step of faith, we always want God to prove himself on the front end. And that's not how it works. You have to take a step of faith and he'll meet you there. More on that in a couple weeks. 
So I'll get off money because you're all going like, oh, he's talking about money. All right, listen, there's a long list of things that compete for your faith in God as to what will make you safe and secure and happy. Money's just a big one. There's so many more. I don't have time. I'll give you two or three, right? Some of us, we know, like we've been praying about, I need your will for my life. And God said, oh, here it is, all right? We know that God is telling you to take a step of faith, but the idol in our life is this. What would people think if I did that? right? Your God, small g, is your reputation and how people might judge you as being religious and crazy. I am sure that a bunch of people rolled their eyes at Abraham when he started packing up the wagon for a land that God's going to show him someday. He's lost it. He's gone crazy. He's religious. Some of you going, I just, you know, it'd be awkward at work if I really got serious about my faith. I don't know. For some of us, this is get more intrusive, right? We, we know that God is telling us to take a step of faith when it comes to a relationship we're in right now. Some of us right now, we are ready to tap out. And the room went quiet. We're ready to give up on this marriage. We're ready to give up on this relationship. We have, we've already given up on our parents. We've already given up on our children. And God is saying to you right now, no, 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 not yet. Do not give up, yes. You know, go back and ask for forgiveness one more time. Offer forgiveness one more time. Call a counselor. Do one more thing to move back into that relationship with this person. Here's the problem with this though, right? You don't want to. And I get it. You've tried everything and now you're just tired and you're angry and you're frustrated and you're hurt and you just want to quit, all right? But you know, I'm not your Holy Spirit, just listen to the Holy Spirit, right? You know God is saying, you gotta trust me on this, I want you to try one more thing and whatever you decide to do will be based on faith. Do I trust God more than I trust this other person's response or do I trust God even more than my own feelings and emotions around this issue? Did I offend anybody yet? I got one more, okay? Some of you, the step of faith that God is telling you to take is you need an ended relationship. You need to get out of it because that relationship is pulling you away from God. This person in your life doesn't value you, doesn't value Jesus the way that you want to value Jesus. This person continually demands that you compromise your beliefs and your values around faith, around sexuality and, and relationship and threatens to a lot of things, but threatens to end the relationship if you don't do what he or she tells you to do. There's something inside of you, and I'm going to go with God, is saying, run. There's this weird, toxic codependency thing going on, and you know it, and you know that God is saying, get away from this person, but you don't know what your life would look like without this person in your life, right? And so you, you put your faith in, in this toxic, broken relationship because you're not sure that God will take care of you if you were to break up or walk away. And so you stay trapped, and you make this relational dysfunction your small g God, even though you know it can't take care of you and it will end badly like the last one did. But the only way it's going to change, at least for the better, is you're going to have to take a step of faith and do something different. You're going to have to move, get out. Well, where am I going to go? To some place that God will show you on the other side that you can't see from where you currently are until you take that step. This isn't hypothetical, is it? It's not theoretical. This is where we live. So what's yours? What is the primary thing that you have oriented your life around, made your plans around, built your future around? I'm counting on that if I can get this right and get enough of it in my life, you think that you have that your faith in, in whatever that is, that you'll be safe and secure and happy. And where does Jesus fit into that? Where does Jesus fit into your faith system? Is he the one telling you to do what you're doing and do it the way that you're doing? Or is Jesus telling you, even right now in this moment, let's get weird, okay? Right now in this moment, spiritually, that's not what your life is supposed to be about. 
Your life is supposed to be about so much more, something that will last longer than the current flavor of the week that you're chasing or the thing that you have to buy or experience or or, or have that won't matter five minutes after you're dead. Honestly, it probably won't even matter five minutes after you do it or have it. We've all felt that before. Ah, that didn't deliver. So what is the one area of your life right now that you sense the spirit of God is saying you need to let go of that and take a bigger hold on me with that part of your life. You have to, by faith, move from where you are in the right direction that God's commanding you to move towards. And here's why you can trust him. Let's go back to how we started. Here's why you can trust him with whatever it is that you're thinking about right now, because you're in a wrestling match, because you know what God's saying, and you're like, but I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. Here's the only reason you should follow God, because on a day in history, God demonstrated his level of commitment to you. This is how, and I'll close with this. Um, write this down or, or turn to, if you can find it, Romans chapter eight. This, this is a great verse here, okay? A guy named Paul is writing to some people who are going through the exact same thing that you're wrestling through in your head right now. Paul says this. <clears throat> he, talking about God, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. If he did that, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That's a good one, isn't it? Let's just read that together. One, two, three. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If we have that kind of God, who's already proven his level of love and commitment to you, what makes you think you can't trust him now with more of the part of your life that you're mistakenly holding on to and counting on it to do for you what only God can do? But the only way that you'll know that you can trust God through Christ is by leaving where you are, letting go of what you're clinging to and following him to a place he'll show you and he'll take care of you as you every step, step of the way until you get there. Do you believe that? Because that's called faith. And all our campuses, let's stand up. I love this last song. Um, as I look back over my life and the wrestling match that I've had with faith, listen, none of this is new information. I've known this in the back of my head. You can trust God and Jesus died for you and he, blah, 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 right? But I, I live in this tension. And so I've spent a lot of my time going, that might be true, but I need to take care of some stuff first. And so I've, I've, I would say this way. I have, I know God's there. I just kind of went this direction. And I had some aha times in my life where I went, this isn't working. And then I turned and you know what I found out? He was, he was pursuing me. Have you ever felt like that? Running from God and you find out he's actually chasing you? His goodness runs after you. I don't care how far you've gone or how far you run. He's, he's right. He's right here. So we're going to sing about that. Um, and then what I, I don't, I haven't told you what to do. You know what I'm Here's what everybody needs to go do. Except ask God and look at your life and where do you want it to go? And can you trust him? Right? So God, I just, uh, I'm, I'm a co journeyer with all people listening to my voice right now. I'm on a journey of faith. I want to trust you more. I want to turn more of my life over to you. But then I have this conversation in my head. It goes, what about this? And what about that? And what, what if this happens? And what will people think? And on and on and on and on. So I just take a breath right now. And I just remember how good you are, how faithful you've been to me in the past. What makes me think that this is the, this is the time you're going to abandon me? It's just not true. Your goodness is coming after me. Your, your, your mercy is coming after me. Your faithfulness is coming after me. Your love surrounds me. So why, why, why wouldn't I trust you? So I worship you alone because you're the one true God.
who proved it by sending us his son. It's in his, it's in his name that we pray and we worship. Amen.